Please do turn with me to Colossians and chapter 2. And our title this morning is found in verse 10 of chapter 2. We read these wonderful words. I trust this is true of many here this morning. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. And ye are complete in him. Complete in Christ. Is that true of you this morning? You're living your life. You have many choices. There are many elements to your life. Many departments to your life. Can you say, I am a complete person. Not a perfect person. But are you a complete person? person or is there something or many things missing from your life well I'm sure some miss loved ones they think of those who are no longer with them and in a sense they don't feel complete anymore they miss they mourn understandably loved ones perhaps there's still pain and grief that hasn't really been extinguished. But you know if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian this morning, you can say, I am complete in Christ Jesus, in complete in him. And so that's really our subject this morning, complete in Christ. Paul has laid down the groundwork He's writing this letter to this young church in Colossae, a hundred miles east of Ephesus. If you've been here in recent weeks, you'll understand that in this young church there are several problems. Every church has problems. And the churches, even in the first, second century, you might think, well, the word of God has been taught, memories are fresh. Surely there won't be any problems, but that's not true. The errors started even in the first century. And we're going to look at some of those errors this morning. The heresies. What's a heresy? Teaching anything which is against the word of God. Teaching anything important. Yes, we can have disagreements on this and that. They might be secondary or even tertiary issues. They don't matter much. But something that's vitally important about Christ, about the Trinity, about the Word of God, about the way of salvation, if that's taught in a way that the Bible doesn't teach, that's heresy. We shall speak about that this morning. The Christian faith has always been under attack. There have been enemies of the gospel, those that distort, deceive, lie, cheat, steal. That's really what our verses are going to be about this morning. Let's start with something more positive. Verses 6 and 7, Paul has reminded the church that if you want to be secure, protected, and have a defence against false teaching, what do you need to do? Verse 6, walk in him. 
Walk in Christ's footsteps. Walk to the cross. Walk his way. Walk in his will. Walk in him. That's the first thing we thought about. Secondly, in verse 7, we need to be rooted in him. We don't need to be easily dislodged like a little seedling. We need to be like a strong tree with deep roots built in him. We need to be like a foundation that builds on Christ and the building. And we need to rejoice with thanksgiving. But here's the warning. I started with a positive because these next few verses deal with a very difficult and negative subject. Verse 8. Follow this carefully. Beware. Be very careful. If you're a lover of Christ and his word, be very careful. Imagine you've got something very precious. Perhaps it was a a wedding ring that your mother, who's no longer with you, gave to you before she died. What would you do with it? Would you look after it? Would you lose it? Would you care if it got dirty or maybe damaged? No, you wouldn't. You would hold it very tight. Keep it somewhere where you knew where it was, that it was safe. And so when it says, beware, be very careful, lest any man spoil. The word is booty, literally to take as though it was treasure. But it's not taking the ring, it's taking you and me. Beware, lest any man spoil you. This is about your soul, your mind, your heart. And this is about some deceivers who would come in. There will be three different kinds or categories. And these people could cause great damage. I've seen it. You've seen it. People that I preach to one week, I never know whether they'll be here the next. And then you hear some months later they've gone to such and such a church where you know they don't teach the word of God, snatched away, taken as spoils. So Paul says in the Colossian situation where heresy was coming in and we've thought of some of those dangers that they faced, beware lest any man spoil you. If you're taking notes, your first heading this morning, the characteristics of false teaching. Beware, take heed. Well, the first thing we can mention is this can happen without knowing, without noticing. It could be already this morning that somebody's started reading things or watching sermons on the internet which are going to lead you astray. They're going to take you. They're going to teach you things which the Word of God does not teach. Beware, be careful. In this internet age that you're not led astray. There's going to be false teachers. What's a false teacher? Somebody that teaches a false gospel. A pseudo gospel. Something distorted. Two references. You don't need to turn to them. 2 Timothy 3 
Verse 13 says, In the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Heresy, error, false teachers, false prophets, false churches, cults, will get worse and worse. Maybe we are in the last age. Because is that not what we see? Deceiving and being deceived. That's implying it will be deliberate. They'll deceive. But also they deceive themselves. 1 John 4 verse 1 says this. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try, test the spirits, whether they are of God. Is this negative preaching? Is this really necessary on a nice Sunday morning with blue sky that we should have to think of negative things? Yes, it is. Because as we get to the end of time, which maybe we're in, we are to test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Satan has sent his army and he's looking to do great damage he sent his army to Colossae and there would be great dangers here's one of the dangers you might have heard this term Gnosticism that's what was happening in the first second century in the Greek Roman world Gnosticism it means those who claim to have knowledge Religious, spiritual knowledge. Well, it calls it here, the first title is philosophy. That's a term used for any teaching of man. doesn't mean a particular school of philosophy, but any school of thought which is man-made. I think this. I've decided that. My opinion on spiritual matters is this that's man-made philosophy and it can spoil in those days Gnosticism was teaching the following things see if you recognize any that have come back it taught that God as a perfect spirit could not become flesh God is removed he's so holy he could not come and enter into human flesh and therefore Christ is not God. That's what was being taught, Gnosticism. Christ did not create the world, they were teaching. Some lower form of divinity was the creator of the world. That's why it said in Colossians 1 and verse 16, such a defiant statement for by him Christ were all things made they were teaching that you needed additional mediators ah that's familiar angels priests people to stand between you and God it was teaching that there was personal spiritual knowledge listen to this carefully they were saying that God spoke to me directly and gave personal 
spiritual knowledge and I can intuitively determine the will of God. That's what charismatics teach today. I had a word of knowledge. God spoke to me. He sat next to me in my car. That's what somebody once said, a great charismatic leader who led many astray. John Wimber, no longer alive today. God spoke to me. He sat next to me. He was dressed as a fireman. That's Gnosticism. Saying that God speaks to me directly. Yes, he does through his word. Once delivered, unchanging. It also emphasised that we should lift up personal experience above the word of God. If somebody says, I feel this, I know this, God told me it, I had that experience, even if it disagrees with the word of God, we should listen to experience. What happens, I said this in adult Bible class, forgive me those that were there. What happens if I get a word of knowledge saying, leave your wife, leave her and go off with somebody else? I've heard that said before. The word of God clearly says no. We have to be very careful where experience is put up here and the word of God is pushed down. That's what Gnosticism was teaching in the first and the second centuries. In those days, there were three particular forms of philosophy. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and a group called the Essenes, the Essenic group. They taught that you needed to be celibate if you were to be really godly. Have you heard that before? That's what the Roman Catholic Church took on. They taught the Essenes that you needed to ritually wash every morning. Now, washing every morning is not such a bad thing. But to do it in a ritual, thinking that that will flow to me some benefit from God. And they revered the angels. They knew them by name. They made up names for different angels and then they worshipped them. These are things that were taught then and some of them you might recognize have come back. Beware. Anybody that gives additional revelation to the word of God, that's Gnostic. Anybody that teaches experience that's personal, that's above the word of God, that's Gnostic. That's what we've seen in the last 50 a hundred years. Paul says, beware lest any man take your soul away as spoil through philosophy and vain deceit. Lies. Empty, false lies. Proclaiming to be the truth. Men and women, we can't work out the truth of God. How can we possibly with our own thinking, make up truth that trumps the word of God? Our thinking is flawed, it's basic, it's carnal, it lifts up man. The word of God lifts up Christ. It says Christ is all you need. You are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's a second statement here. It speaks about 
the traditions of men, probably referring to Jewish practices, which were handed down from one generation to the next. And there was coming into the church at Colossae those who were saying, you've got to do this because we've always done it. You've got to do this because it's our culture. It's our practice. Beware. Less man-made thinking, man-made practices handed down from one generation to the next, adding to the word of God that which shouldn't be. And then there's a third. This is often debated after the rudiments of the world. The ABCs, as it's been described. And then the catch-all that brings all three together. All three of these heresies are not after Christ. Christ is all we need. Christ's finished work on Calvary is sufficient for time and for eternity, for all of God's people, sufficient to save Sufficient to sanctify, sufficient. All these other things take away or add, they are not after Christ. You know, any religion apart from Christ is empty and dangerous. You have religion without Christ, you can do much damage. You know true Christianity is good to the core. Everything it says and teaches and does is constructive and not destructive. It fills the mind with truth. It changes our ways and our practices. We know it by their fruits. Shall you know them? Religion apart from Christ or that substitutes Christ is dangerous and empty. Well, let's come on to verse 10. We'll jump over 9 and come back to it. Ye are complete. Second heading. Our completeness. This is wonderful. Believer here this morning. Dear congregation. Can you say this? I am complete. I have need of nothing else. Take away my cars, my home, my family, even my health. I'm still complete. Can you say that? That's what Paul says. Ye are complete. Colossian believers, you don't need this trash. You don't need this rubbish. You don't need these heresies. You're complete in Jesus Christ. He is a well with no flaw. A salvation that's inexhaustible. A supply in a stream that will never run out. You are complete. If you've had struggles this week, if you've got difficulties at work, at home, go to the well that will never be exhausted. Go and draw from him. Well, how can I make that statement? That every Christian is and should be complete? Well, the answer is in verse 9. 
one of those sublime texts that keeps our minds spinning. For, it sounds very similar to verse 3, and also to another verse in chapter 1, for in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you know the Jehovah's Witness, the New World Translation, it distorts what it says there. It says there is the quality of the divine being. No, no, no. You see the double emphasis. All the fullness. Nothing is left out when God sent Christ to the world to be the embodiment of the Godhead, he did not leave anything out. Christ is complete, he is full, he is the visible representation of the Godhead bodily. Isn't that wonderful? Christ is all you need. We are complete in him. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, if there's somebody here, and your life is lacking Christ. I say this with kindness. You are deficient. What are you deficient of? You don't have lasting satisfaction. You're dependent on your circumstances, your possessions, the people around you, the having a good time. You're deficient in what really gives lasting satisfaction. Doesn't that follow? If you're complete in Christ and you have him and he is all you need and he has the embodiment of the Godhead, if you don't have Christ, you are deficient. You have no guide, you have no light, you don't know right and wrong really. You don't have a hope of heaven, you don't have a certainty and an assurance you have none of this, pardon from sin, and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. If I have Christ, I have everything, everything needed in life. All this should encourage us today, because in him dwells, I mentioned that before a few weeks ago, it didn't dwelt, it dwells. Ongoing, continuous, present tense. It does, it did, it will do. It's ongoing. All that you need is in Christ Jesus. It's permanent and it's present, ever present. What a comfort. Wherever Christ is, he's indivisible. He's not part of the Godhead. He's not some of the Godhead. He is fully God and fully man. Because of that, in him we have our life. We have our identity. If you're looking for a new identity, as many are today, they don't know whether they're men or women, they or them or his or her. You only need one identity. The one that Christ gave you and then he takes the corruption away 
and he gives you his identity like a tarnished coin that should have had the bright image of Christ and it's become so dirty it's gone to a colour where you can't recognise the image of God and Christ comes and he restores it and he makes it shining, gleaming bright so that we are what we should be the image of God in Jesus Christ thirdly let's come down to this verse 11 there's far too much to say here verse 11 in whom you notice again Paul keeps saying in him in him in whom in Christ it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ you don't need anything else so he says speaking probably to Gentile believers the church at Colossae we know it had Jews but it mostly had Gentiles some of them were saying I haven't been circumcised I've not had that ritual the old Jewish ritual I'm therefore not as good or on the same level as the Jews who had to circumcise their young boys on the eighth day Am I inferior? Was the challenge. And Paul says no. In Christ. You have had. The circumcision that's far better. Than one made with hands and a knife. No. You've had the full circumcision. And anyway. Do you know circumcision was never about the flesh just want to turn you to a couple of verses to prove this this is vitally important Deuteronomy chapter 10 if you could just turn to this briefly just two verses to try and prove this point to show that all the symbols in the Old Testament were really spiritual they weren't physical this is what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 10 circumcise therefore the skin of your heart and no more be stiff-necked you see here's a person arrogant proud I don't want God's way and God says no you in your heart need to have the old man cut out the old flesh taken away the old life destroyed that's what he says here go back to Colossians chapter 1 and I'll just show you one more in whom also ye are circumcised spiritually not physically in putting off the body of the sins the old life this is conversion just turn to one more text Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 4, this will suffice. Jeremiah 4 and verse 4. Here the prophet Jeremiah says these words. Jeremiah 4 and verse 4. Circumcise yourselves. How can I do that? Take a knife? No. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Go to the middle of the verse. Ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
lest my anger, my fury, come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of your evil doings. You see, the problem is we've got sin in the heart. How can the sin be dealt with? The answer is, not physically, but spiritually we need a circumcision of the heart, a cutting out, a pruning, a destroying of your sinful nature. And that's what Paul refers to in Colossians chapter 1. Forget physical circumcision. That's of the old days. That was just a picture, a symbol, a signpost pointing forward to Christ. Go on to verse 12. If you have had circumcision of the heart, this is what's happened to you. He uses another picture. You have been buried with him in baptism. Oh, this is a bit strange. Mixing his metaphors. Wherein also ye are risen with him. You see, I was dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. My heart was full of sin. I wanted to be in charge of mine own life. But when that circumcision of the heart, conversion, happens, the old life is cut out. And it's as though we die. Oliver has died. And now a new person, the new Oliver, lives with a new heart, new desires. And it's as though I've been buried with Christ. Pictured as going down into the water with total immersion and all the sin washed away. And then I come up with new life. How is this done? The answer, verse 12, through faith. This isn't something that has to happen to us to be a Christian. There is a church, a big denomination. It's a false church called the Church of Christ. They wear white gowns and they teach that to become a Christian, you must be baptised. That's wrong. The thief on the cross was not baptised. Today, you will be with me in paradise. No, this is through faith. It's the operation of God, verse 12, Colossians 2, who has raised Christ from the dead and he will raise you from the dead. This is conversion. Circumcision is being put side by side. Conversion is spiritual. True circumcision is spiritual. Conversion is internal. It happens in the heart. True <coughs> circumcision is a work of God in the heart. Circumcision involves the cutting away, not of physical skin, but of the old life, the old nature. It's of Christ. It's not of our hands. No pastor, no priest can baptise you to make you a Christian. And it identifies us with Christ in his life and in his resurrection. Verse 13, And you, being dead in your sins, and the unconverted, uncircumcised state of your flesh, that's what you were like, 
has he quickened, brought to life, having forgiven you of your trespasses. Well, we've rushed through these verses. Circumcision is really just a picture, a visual aid, speaking of what needs to happen in your heart. Has that happened? Have you been circumcised in your heart? The old life, the old ways, the old attitudes, cut out, and a new heart put within its place by faith in Jesus Christ. I want to turn to one more text to bring our theme together. 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. We've been thinking about false teaching, false teaching, false prophets. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Perhaps this will conclude our thinking this morning. This is what Paul says to the church at Corinth that also had false teaching coming in. He says, verse 2, let's read from that. For I am jealous over you with a godless, godly jealousy. For I have espoused you, as the church, to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin. Verse 3, here's the key point. But I fear, lest by any means the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind shall be corrupted. From the simplicity that is in Christ. Here it is. Here's our concluding remarks. Colossian Church. You were taught the simplicity of Christ. Christ is all you need to be complete. He's all you need for salvation. He's all you need for life. He's all you need for eternity. But what you've done is you've added. You've complicated You've undermined. You've been tricked. You've been deceived. You've started to worship angels. You've started to have rituals and ceremonies that were just a shadow of the things to come. You've been deceived. Has anybody been deceived this morning? Do you believe things that are not true? Do you believe that Christ is not sufficient? Let me ask you this question in closing. Why did Christ die? Was his death not sufficient for you? Do you have to add to it? Do you have to suffer in some way as some taught the ascetic view? Do you have to add with your works? Christ himself said, It is finished. He is sufficient. Verse 10. Ye are complete in him. Don't look to anything or anyone else. Don't go to therapy for your soul. Don't go for erroneous false teaching. Go to the word of God alone and to Christ. Ye are complete in him. Why? Because he is head over all. 
He has all authority, all power. And so we gladly go to Christ 